0: Twenty-eight is the sermon text. The priestly garments. And hear the word of God. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother. For glory and for beauty, so you shall speak to all who are gifted, artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. They shall take the gold, blue, uh, purple and scarlet thread and the fine linen and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges uh, and so it shall be joined together and the intricately woven band of ephod which is on it uh, shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two oxen stones and engrave that on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order uh, of their birth with the work of the engraver in stone like the engravings of a signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread. And fine woven linen you shall make it. It shall be doubled into into a square. A span shall be its length. And a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stone in it. Four rows of stones. The first row shall be a, uh, a, a sardius, a topaz. And an emerald, this shall be the first row. And the second row be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. In the third row, uh jackanth, an agate, and an uh, amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel oxen and a jasper. Uh, they shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, uh, like the braided cords of pure gold, and you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings, And put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold. And put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it. uh, Which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make. And put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front. Right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the the Urim and Thummim, And they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. And you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening like the opening in a coat of mail so that it does not tear. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell uh, and a pomegranate all uh, uh, upon the hem of uh, the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he may not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord, and you shall put it on a blue cord so that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things. Which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be on his forehead that he may be accepted before the Lord. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen and then you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. And let us pray together. Our father in heaven, as we consider once again uh, this immensely detailed work, uh, first with regard to the tabernacle, now with regard to the priestly garments, which in many ways, resembled the tabernacle. They were made of cloth, as indeed the tent of the tabernacle was, or the drapings were. Uh, and so there was a similarity, and you were indicating similar things by these by these, uh, these uh, clothes, a clothing for the, the tabernacle, a clothing for the priest. And uh, we ask you, Lord, uh, that you would I- enlighten your church as to the significance of these things, especially as they find uh, their counterpoints in the book of Hebrews, and so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you remember, the structure of uh, this section is the ceremonial law. You have the tabernacle, and then you have the priests who inhabit the tabernacle. And last time we began uh, what I indicated would be a series of sermons on the priesthood. And we began with the consideration of the Old Testament priesthood by, con- by considering the priesthood in general. We looked only at verse 1. And we notice the three main aspects of the office and the function of the priest, comparing this to Christ and his priesthood. Uh, the relationship he bore to the people, the relationship he bore to God, and that his ministry consisted in making offerings. So the three priestly aspects or functions. And so it was a very general introduction. But now we proceed to consider more specifically what is said about the, the Levitical priesthood at its institution in Exodus. And what I find so interesting here is that it begins not so much with the nature of the office as with the equipment that makes his office possible. We see first his priestly garments, and great stress is laid upon this. Uh, To to quote Henry again, uh, Matthew Henry, he says, I'm I'm transferring the quote now uh, to the idea of the garments, but the Lord gives us more detail about the garments Aaron wore than, uh, than... The material by which the Lord made the earth. It's amazing to see the amount of detail that we're given. Because the priority of scripture is upon saving grace. And that's what the priest embodied. And the nature of these garments spoke of his priestly functions. That's something that will become clear. But then following that in the next chapter, chapter 29. We see the emphasis on his consecration or his ordination to the priesthood. Aaron and his sons. And so you notice that the Lord doesn't quite proceed as we would in introducing the priesthood to to us. We begin with the whole idea of the priesthood, and then we consider certain aspects of the office. But the Lord is most interested in what qualifies the man to be a priest in the first place. Moses is commanded to do these things, verse 1, but then this becomes a kind of refrain, that he may minister to me as priest. In other words, apart from this equipment, he is unable and unworthy to do so. But being thus equipped, he is. But for these things, the garments, the consecration or ordination. He is unfit to enter the sanctuary. Of course, we will also see in both of these sections, chapter 28 and chapter 29, the nature of the priesthood, which will appear as we consider beginning with the priestly garments what each of them was meant to achieve and embody for the priest as he carried out his priestly tasks. And there's certain certain key verses, you may have noticed them in the reading, but if not, I will I will highlight them again, which really pinpoint the significance of each piece of clothing as it was meant to contribute to the carrying out of his tasks. But before we go any further, it does occur to me that I have not thus far defined what a priest is. Perhaps I should have done that last time, but... Uh, but at any rate, we can do it now. If I were to synthesize the teaching from last time, uh, that is summarizing those three main points, I could say that a priest is one who bears a vital relation to the people and to God in order to make sacrifices for their sins. And that would be a worthy definition. But I think we could present an even simpler definition uh, found simply in the word itself. Priest. What does that word signify? Well, the word priest signifies, as is clear in the nature of the office and its official duties, but also simply uh, by the word Kohen or something like that in, in the Hebrew. I don't know if I said that right. But the idea is that of a mediator, a mediator. Here was one, as we'll notice in chapter twenty nine, specifically his consecration happened at the door of the tent, which symbolized the fact that uh the, the fact that his office had a twofold relation. He was the stand in between man and God, and thus he had a relation to both. And in this relation, his ministry uh functioned in both directions. He made offerings to God on behalf of the people. And in the other direction, he ministered grace unto the people from God. And, of course, we are to look at Christ's priestly ministry in exactly the same way as we find it in Hebrews. Now, there's much more involved in the office than this, obviously. But those are the basic categories. A mediator who stands in between and ministers in both directions. We notice immediately in verse one, the selection of the priest's. Confirming the truth of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1. And let me read that verse. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1. Every high priest taken from among the men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Uh, and then also uh, he says in verse 4. And no man takes this honor to himself. But he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So the man is selected. He's selected by God through Moses, uh, Aaron and his sons. Aaron would be the high priest. His sons would be the common priests. And as a result of this, they were separated from the people, even as they were chosen from among them. And for this, the priestly garments were essential to their becoming priests and ministering in the tabernacle. They embodied the sacredness and the separateness of their office. Their garments enabled them to perform their sacred functions in the tabernacle and thus to draw near into the presence of God. They were to be, God says, verse 2, for glory and for beauty, which I take to mean the glory and the beauty of holiness, as indeed uh, the golden plate on the turban signified, holy to the Lord. An external glorification and beautification of the person of the priests put on by God, as it were, to sanctify them for sacred service. And this thought stands out uh, more prominently in verse three, where it is said, so you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priests. And so the consecration was involved merely in putting on and wearing the garments themselves. It was an act of sanctification and the need for sanctification for Aaron arose on two accounts. One was obviously the sin of the priest himself, that Aaron was a sinner and lacking as a sinner an inherent righteousness. He must put on righteousness in the robes of his priestly office. But there was also an antecedent reason, apart from sin itself, being man's essential unworthiness to minister immediately in the presence of God, even apart from any consideration of the sinfulness of man. Apart from sin and before it, we must realize man is unfit to dwell with God until God makes him fit, which occurs by some act of consecration where sin factors in. As Paul says, We see consecration in the externalized feature of this as seen in the garments. The sinner must put on righteousness and thereby become consecrated for sacred service and to dwell in the presence of God. He as a sinner lacking it. Inherently in his person, whereas in a setting where sin does not prevail, as in the garden, man is able to do so more immediately and spiritually, the consecration residing inwardly in his very person. And so the difference is seen uh, with respect to consecration. Uh, seeing sin is the pivot point, not whether sinless man needs consecration, but in the fact that once sin is entered in, he needs it externally because he lacks it inherently. Uh, but then also by way of introduction, with regard to the garments, uh, I would also notice these three points from Matthew Henry with respect to those garments. He says uh, they were uh, they were there one to remind the priest of the nature of their office. Two, to instill in the people a sense of the sacredness of their functions. And three, most importantly, to provide a fitting type of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And all of these features will stand out as we consider the garments themselves. And so let us do so now. There were four main parts of the, of the garments, uh, the high priestly garments at any rate. Uh, and then at the very end, we'll see some of the common clothing of the priests. Uh, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, if you need to do this afterwards, no shame in that, because I had to do it. I actually had to print off from the Internet a picture to help me to grasp what it was. But let me see. That isn't how uh, we're supposed to preach. We're supposed to preach through words that we're able to hear. Let me see if I can paint the picture by my words. So first there was an ephod, which was like an outer garment or an outer robe. And what was fascinating about the ephod was that it was made, and you notice this in the way it's described, of the same material as the tabernacle. It was uh, like a robe. Uh, or a draping on his body. Much as uh, the, the drapings of the tabernacle. Only it was laced with gold. And so uh, as I say it was like an outer robe. Which only he wore. The high priest. To distinguish him from the common priests. And their common robes. But the most important feature of the ephod. And we'll be able to say this of each article of clothing. There was something in particular that was important about it. And it was the two stones that were placed upon his shoulders. Of which we read verses 9 through 12. This will be the first instance of me highlighting the key verses. Then you shall take two oxen stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone like the engravings of a signet you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel you shall set them in settings of gold and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorials uh as as memorial stones for the sons of Israel so Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders as a memorial now we're getting the sense of the significance of the garments and the sense in which they contributed directly to his priestly service The essence of priestly service consisted not merely in Aaron ministering in the presence of God, but him doing so on behalf of the people and bearing their persons corporately in his person. And so his priesthood or the essence of his priesthood was seen not merely in the fact that he was chosen from among the people, but that in his priesthood. As was apparent in his priestly clothes, he bore the names of the sons of Israel upon his person as he ministered in the presence of God. He shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders as a memorial. And and, and the sense is that the Lord, as a result, would always remember the people and accept them in the person of the high priest. And this likewise, this fact likewise, as we'll later see, gave confidence to the people that they were accepted in the person of the priesthood and his ministry and that God would not forsake his people so long as the high priest ministered on their behalf. Number two, there was the breastplate, which was placed upon the ephod attached to the ephod. And most significant, again, was not the breastplate itself, but what was placed upon it. And once again, we notice it was stones, not two stones with six names each this time, but 12 stones. All 12 in four rows, whereby each tribe received representation. Verse 21. And the stone shall have the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the 12 tribes, which, again, we know corresponded to the purpose of the priesthood and his ministry, uh, which was to represent the people in the presence of God. Uh, and here again, we see, as we have seen in Hebrews with respect to Christ, that the The priest does not represent all men indiscriminately, but he carries the very names upon his person, those whom he represents. So Jesus, as he dies on the cross, does not die for all men, but he dies for the elect as he carries them on his person. Uh, So Aaron, as he enters in uh, to the, the holy place, bears the very names of those whom he represents. He doesn't represent the whole world. He was appointed from among the sons of Israel to represent the sons of Israel. And his ministry was solely for them. Verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you notice, while the stones upon the shoulders were a memorial to the Lord... Here, the stones upon his breast were for Aaron, whereby he kept the people close to his heart. He bore them quite literally upon his heart. And so uh, by this very fact. Was animated with a feeling of sympathy for them as he ministered on their behalf, though, of course, the phrase does appear again as a memorial before the Lord, carrying with it the same significance as, as it did for the stones upon the shoulders. The Lord would remember the people in the person of the priest. And in him, they would find acceptance before God. And so as the people could not go into the holy place, so they would find a place upon the shoulders and the heart of the priest. But we also see here in connection with the breastplate upon the ephod and placed within the breastplate uh, was the Urim and Thummim. If you ask me what that was, I don't know. And in fact, I don't know if anyone knows. Nevertheless, there was something called Urim and Thuman, and it was something that was to be placed within the breastplate. And it was on account of these being there placed in the breastplate that the breastplate is called the breastplate of judgment, whereby Aaron, it is said, shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Verse 30. Again, we find in the Urim and Thummim, whatever they were, the people upon the heart of Aaron and the Lord's gracious and continual acceptance of them. It was, in fact, on account of these that Aaron bore the judgment of the children of Israel before the Lord, which either means that he maintained the rights of the people before the Lord. Or that through these as a kind of medium, God invested the priest with such wisdom that he might render judgment in difficult cases. And there's good reason to take it in either sense, although I cannot tell which is right. But then next and third, we see the robe with the pomegranate, uh, the woven pomegranates and the bells attached to it at the bottom. Now, verses 31 through 35, we were just considering verses 15 through 30. Here again, we find one particular aspect carrying uh, the greatest significance, and that is the bells. The bells attached to the bottom, along with the pomegranates. Uh, verse 35 being the key verse. It shall be upon Aaron when he ministers and its sound, speaking of the bells will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. And so the significance of the bells uh, very simply was that by these making a sound as he walked in, the people standing in the court behind him could hear the high priest entering into the sanctuary. The result of this being that the people then could join their hearts with his and add their prayers to his ministry and in essence uh, join in with him. But you notice, even though we might say the significance was primarily for the people, There was also significance for the priest himself, seen in the words that he may not die. That is, if he would neglect even the least portion of his priestly garments found, in this case, at the bottom. Suppose, for instance, that they fell off over time and they were not attached again. Then he would immediately, God says, disqualify himself from priestly service and expose himself to death he entered into the presence of God in the sanctuary, how solemn his task was, we realize when his robes were invested with such importance and the neglect of these things would result in his death and how deeply this must have have impressed him with the seriousness of his task and of his ministry. To represent the people was one thing. And there were many indications in the clothes to remind him of this constantly. But from them, he was in no immediate danger if in any way he neglected his duties toward them. But not so with reference to God. His ministry, God is indicating here, must always be kept with a spirit of reverence and seriousness. And any neglect in this regard would place his person in immediate danger with respect to his person in the presence of God. But the last thing that we notice. Was something that was to be placed upon the turban on his head. Namely a golden plate. And upon that golden plate was to be inscribed. The insignia holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. And here again we find in this fact the significance of of uh, this garment or this feature of clothing found in verses 37 and 38. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. Verse 38. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be uh, always on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So not 37 and 38, just 38. That's the key verse. Here again, we find a crucial way in which the holy, the high priest was set apart, not just from the people, but from the common priests themselves. This was uh, the garment solely that Aaron was to wear, and then eventually one of his sons after him, and then one of his sons after him, and so on. Just the high priest. One who was, God is indicating peculiarly, Holy unto the Lord by the Lord's own point of appointment and inscription. And fascinatingly, it was. It was uh, the insignia of holiness that he bore that enabled him, we read, to bear the sins of the holy things. You might have thought it would say this is what makes him holy, but actually it says this is what enables him to bear the iniquity of the holy things. And that they in him may be accepted before the Lord. The holiness that he bore by this was not his own. It was as with all the garments put on. And it was in fact the holiness of the Lord himself. Not the holiness of Aaron, but the holiness of God inscribed and put upon the high priest. And so Kylan Dillich saved this. This was to be placed above Aaron's forehead that he might bear the iniquity of the holy things and to bear the iniquity and to take it away. In other words, to exterminate it by taking it upon oneself. The high priest was exalted into an atoning mediator of the whole nation and an atoning sin exterminating intercession was associated with his office. The qualification for this he received from the diadem upon his forehead with the inscription holiness to the Lord. Through this inscription, the earthly reflection of holiness, he was crowned as the sanctified of the Lord and endowed with the power to exterminate the sin which clung to the holy offerings of the people on account of their unholiness. And so we, what we notice and we find this later with Christ, that as a prerequisite to making atonement. There must first be the presence of holiness. And only then might he. Uh, Bring his offering and bear in that offering the sins of the people. Finally, we notice in verse 39, though I won't say anything about it. uh, The further clothing, uh, the, the tunic. The turban and the sash for the high priest. Following this in verses 40 through 43, we find the common garments of the priest's. And of them, there's not a great deal to say the, the real interest of the sermon is those four priestly garments, high priestly garments. The really important ministry was carried out by the high priest and the greatest significance was attached to his garments in distinction from the common priests. Yet uh, of the garments of the common priest, still we read, for instance, that they were for beauty and holiness, that they were thereby consecrated to holy office And that interestingly as well. That their nakedness was covered through these garments. Signifying as nakedness does in the Bible. Going back to the garden. That their sin was covered by the garments. And so by these garments. They would be shielding from incurring iniquity and die. But again we notice. As with their father Aaron. That all of this righteousness and holiness. It was put on. Nothing was intrinsic. Nothing was personal. They, like the people, were sinful. Which is why they not only needed the garments, but they had to offer sacrifices first for their own sins, then for the people. And uh, another fascinating point that I have no time to explore, but just just to make the point. We later find in Zechariah chapter 3 that the priestly garments of Joshua are actually referred to as filthy. What do you make of that? But as the priestly garments were put on, so they typified a reality far greater than their own. They had once pointed to their own inadequacy and the inadequacy of the administration that they were connected to. And to the perfection of a priesthood and covenant that would be limited by no such factors. In other words, the garments themselves form the basis of a comparison between the Levitical priesthood and that of the priesthood of our high priest, Jesus Christ. Consider again the words of Hebrews chapter 7, verses 28 through 30, uh, 28, uh, 26 through 28, excuse me. For such a high priest, speaking of Christ, was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. All the things you see that the garments represented. Jesus actually possesses. Who does not need daily as those high priests. to offer up sacrifices. First for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appointed as high priests men. Who have weakness. But the word of the oath. Which came after the law appoints the son. Who has been perfected forever. Do you notice. The essential difference. Seen between Christ priesthood and the Levitical priesthood uh, using the garments as a point of comparison. Christ need not offer for his sin, for he has son, nor does he require priestly garments for the beauty of holiness he possesses is all his own. It is personal. It is intrinsic and thus cannot be put on, nor does it need to be. The perfection of his priesthood resides in the perfection of his person and his holiness abides intrinsically and eternally. Again, it is not put on, but it resides continually in his very person. And do you notice that he says, hearkening back to these verses, that it was fitting or as the King James puts it, that it becomes us to have such a high priest as this and how so? Well, because here is one who is really able to save, not uh, typologically, but really and actually here is one we read who has been perfected forever. He says, indeed, he has just said in verses 21 through 25, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And, and this is because, as he says in verse 26, such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. What a glorious picture this is, beloved. Everything. We see that was portrayed in the garments themselves is actually true of Jesus Christ personally, which is why he doesn't have to put them on. And it's also why we needn't worry about any of the limitations that attach themselves to the Old Testament priesthood, limiting the priesthood. Of Jesus Christ. He had no sin. He was not prevented from death. From continuing. And so on and so forth. You see it all in the verses we considered. From Hebrews chapter 7. None of these things for him. Are limiting factors. And yet at the same time. We are able to enjoy all of the benefits. That the garments themselves represented. At the same time. For as he goes into the sanctuary. Which is into heaven itself. Immediately into the presence of God. Just as when he goes to the place of sacrifice, which was, as we know, the cross. He bears his very own upon his heart and upon his shoulders. And so we know that they are dear to him. And so his work can never be considered apart from them. For it is for their sakes that he offers and ministers in the in the sanctuary of God. And because they find representation upon him in his priesthood. So to the extent God accepts what he offers, God accepts them. Or to put it even more strikingly, when he goes into the holy place, again, heaven itself, they go with him. They find a place in his person. It is true that they do so only in principle. Which remained, which was true in the old covenant, it remains true today. Christ bears us on his heart and he bears us on his shoulders. He goes into heaven while we remain here. And so that point of comparison remains true. But by virtue of his priesthood and the intimate association he bears to us and we to him, he brings us really with him into the holy place. In other words, he does not leave us as we are. But as he goes into heaven, he carries us with uh, with him, at least our interest with him. And he goes before us there, remembering us always and preparing a place for us there. And by his priesthood, we are accepted already in advance so that our place there in the sanctuary of God is certain. In fact, as Hebrews says, we are we are even now able to make some use of this privilege, if only by faith, placing us at a direct advantage by comparison to what the Old Testament Jew enjoyed. We are now, by faith, able to enter into the very sanctuary of God. Whereas the common Jew, we know, in the outer courts was always at a distance. And he might hear the high priest enter into the sanctuary through the bells. But he was also, by this very means, Always and constantly reminded that he never held a true place there and he was never allowed or could go into the holy place except by representation. But with Christ, things are different. Christ enables even now our very souls to draw into the presence of God or to draw near into the presence of God. And soon, very soon indeed, we will dwell with him there in the fullness of a realized experience Dwelling together with the lamb and rejoicing in his presence in the presence of God and all the angels for all eternity. And so the glory of his priesthood is seen once more in the way that he offers all that the Old Testament high priest offered and realizes all of the typology inherent in his office and in his garments, while at the same time being free of all that limited them and the people they represented. Christ has gone for us into the true tabernacle, even heaven itself and there he ever bears us on his heart, and there in him we are ever accepted by the Father. And our iniquity has been put away by the sin bearing ministry of the Holy One of God. And yet, at the same time, let me say as a final point, we might see a comparison with ourselves and the common priest, Aaron's sons. While the direct or excuse me, the distinct honor of the high priest in the new covenant is given to Christ alone. On that point, there is no comparison whatsoever with uh, the high priest of the old covenant and ourselves. We do find that believers in general are represented throughout the New Testament as priests, that is, common priests after the likeness of the sons of Israel, uh, uh, sons of um, Aaron. And uh, though this is said in many places, it is especially in Peter that we find. Uh, we find the significance of this idea. First, uh, Peter, chapter two, verse five, he says, uh, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Likewise, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, listen to him, beseeching the church in a priestly office, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Well, as I say, there's many such statements in the New Testament, but that is sufficient for us to understand the point, again, of comparison. The point is that believers have been sanctified. They carry about them the insignia, holy to the Lord, this is their distinct office and privilege in the sinful world to glorify God by the beauty of holiness and to make their office known to the world by their good works. Peter is saying, only unlike the priests of old and like Christ, like Christ, excuse me, their great high priest, this insignia is found not put on them, but within their very persons in the inner man manifest in their outward conduct. It is not so much the words holy to the to the Lord that is found upon them as it is the actions which manifest this reality that makes it clear what is true of them, that they indeed we are the priests of God. And let it be so of us, beloved, that we are indeed the very priests of God, as Peter says, his chosen and holy vessels by which his holiness is seen in the sinful world and by which even the unbeliever. We'll praise him on the day of visitation. Amen. And let us stand together and sing praise to the Savior as we close out our worship, hymn number 216.